0: Hi, this is the Food on the Edge podcast, and I'm your host, J.P. McMahon. Hello and welcome to the Food on the Edge podcast. My name is J.P. McMahon, and I'm a chef, restaurateur, and director of the Food on the Edge symposium held in Galway, Ireland each year. Each month on this podcast, we'll be discussing ingredients which relate to Irish food culture, its history, and its development. We'll also be interviewing speakers from Food on the Edge and talking to different chefs and farmers about what matters most to them in relation to food. One of our restaurants located in Galway is called Anear, which means the West. This restaurant focuses on produce from the West of Ireland. You could call it a terroir restaurant after the term from wine. As an island, we're probably blessed in Ireland to have a a great uh, country and a great land that grows uh, wonderful food and produces great uh, produce. However, we don't have a great history of cooking it and I suppose this podcast hopefully will draw attention to some of the reasons why and also ask questions about what we can do in the future. Today's topic is seaweed. Yes, seaweed is is an interesting ingredient. It has a nebulous uh, relationship to to Irish food. I suppose we've used it throughout the years as everything except an ingredient in in many cases. It's it's very important as a fertilizer for the land and it has been used a lot in Ireland, particularly in relation to growing potatoes. Potatoes and seaweed were often uh, hand in hand in uh, in Irish food, however, we didn't necessarily eat um, the the sea the seaweed. However, it's also been used in the, the cosmetics industry and also in the food processing industry since the since the 1950s and the latter half of the 20th century. Many people will know agar agar or uh, carrageen as thickening agents in in sauces. But I suppose my interest is um, I suppose is the relationship between seaweed and Irish food uh, culture historically and for me if you think about the first peoples that came to Ireland 10 or 12,000 years ago um, I think you uh, you'd have to assume that they that they ate seaweed and that they drew on this wonderful resource mixed together with our our shellfish most of the locations that are prehistoric in Ireland or many of them are located beside uh, beside the rivers and the and the seas and along with, um, I suppose, some of the prime ingredients that are associated with that time salmon, eel, and trout seaweed plays uh, plays its part for people listening who who live by the coast in ireland and they might remember uh seaweed harvests and i, I know plenty of people such as uh, dr prani Radikin whose family has a rich tradition of harvesting seaweed up in sligo and uh i suppose picking it at different times of the years and uh and uh, and drying it and uh, so we do have a tradition there it's just not at um it's not at the forefront of a food culture and um, seaweed is um is located all around Ireland. We're in Ireland, so it's, uh, it's it's easily accessible for, for most people. I think um, we're often, I suppose, afraid to, I suppose, venture into the wild side of things, because um, we're, we're so used to dealing with processed food now and supermarkets and buying our food from, 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 I suppose, from people who have already processed it. And it's it's not a, I suppose, a natural thing anymore to go out onto the strand and pick up seaweed and eat it. Uh, however, it's 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 very very easy thing to learn how to do, and it's a very very safe thing to do. Um, and I think. Um, I think of all the seaweeds. Uh, for me, they're all edible. Just some are more um, more palatable than uh, than um, uh, than others. So you're saying that tradition was there. Why was it abandoned? I think, I suppose for me, and Prani talks about this, in the 20th century seaweed became associated with poverty. Particularly, there's a story that I read of the people picking seaweed in the famine, and it was really the the last resource. I mean, all the potatoes were gone. You went out onto the beach and you picked whatever cockles limpets mussels seaweed and throughout the 20th century when we became independent to a certain degree wild food and seaweed which is one of those wild foods became associated with with uh, hardship and poverty and one forager said to me that like it was you were it was frowned upon to go down and pick your own food because you should be able to buy that food and and that's we had this kind of hang up um uh, in in post independent Ireland where we needed to I suppose as consumers show our wealth and show our knowledge and show our our intellect, and it survived in places like like in Sligo, where they continued to harvest nori and, uh, and alaria, which which most people know as uh, as wakame. Um, but from I suppose from reading history books, reading historically, you do have little snippets of um, seaweed mentions um, from written records going back to the eighth century. But then you also I suppose have to surmise pre-written record which is most of the, most of the time in Ireland and that, that people knew it was there and they were eating it because we can only relate to, I suppose, other countries that have archaeological evidence. I think I read somewhere that in Chile there's, they found archaeological evidence that people were eating seaweed um, about 14,000 years ago. So we can only, um, I suppose, guess that the same thing was happening in, um, in Ireland when people came here about 10,000 years ago. What actually is seaweed? Seaweed is unfortunately it's it's unfortunately named because I suppose generally weeds do not have the best uh, PR in the world. But um, I suppose seaweed is an algae that uh, that grows in um, it grows in the sea. Uh, it's generally divided into categories according to its colour. It's generally divided into green, red, and brown seaweeds, and it's an edible uh, plant or vegetable. Um, and and in different this was a difference between sea uh, seaweed and the algae that grows in the canals is that is that you can't eat uh, the algae that grows in still water. Where exactly seaweed comes from? A seaweed, uh, I suppose, can, is found on the seashore. On most seashores, when you want to find seaweed, you really need to, uh, to I suppose, go out to the tide at its at its slowest point. And this is something that's very very easy to do now with uh, the internet. You can just look up um, the when the tide is low and and go out. There are um, two spring tides a month, and that's when the tide is is at its lowest. So. Seaweed is very much part and parcel of the of the tide and the moon and and a lot of it relates in in a very I suppose holistic and ecological way. If you go down to the strand, you the the strand I suppose is divided into into certain uh, certain sections when you're looking for seaweed, and you have I suppose the the splash zone, which is the the top of the strand where you'll probably find bladderwrack, which is the one that generally everybody identifies with. It's the one with the little small bubbles that you can that you can burst, and by and large this isn't I suppose the best um, seaweed for eating it's not the most edible it's really good as a fertilizer it's also very good for for baths as well you can have your have yourself a little seaweed bath if you fancy However, I prefer to venture out a, a little further. And when you go down to, I suppose, the the, the upper tide, you get a lot of the the green seaweeds, um, sea lettuce, seagrass, uh, which are really really delicate seaweeds. You'll often find those seaweeds just floating around in the in the water. If you're ever if you ever taking a walk along the strand, um, after that you have the middle tide. In the middle area, you probably have the most amount of seaweed, and that's really why it's very very important to to get out when the tide is out because this is a, this is a zone that will be um, that will be will be covered um, and in this zone you have your pepper dulse which is probably one of the most exquisite seaweeds It's called uh, the truffle of the sea you also have your nori which you'll find attached to rocks and um, and then you'll also have a little bit of sea lettuce here and a little bit of um, I suppose egg rack and some of the some of the different racks there's many many different uh, different types of uh, of um, of racks the last two zones the lower uh, tide and then. And subtitle um, and have, uh, have another, I suppose, have other great uh, seaweeds in them. Uh, sea spaghetti, which again is very, very identifiable because it looks like it looks like spaghetti. And um, you have uh, dulsk or dillisk, as they say in, in Irish, which is probably the seaweed that has the most historical resonance in Ireland. It probably has the most mentions. And um, a lot of people cooked. Uh, potatoes in uh, in Dillisk water. They ate Dillisk. They gathered Dillisks to um, to sell. Um, at the markets, so and it was also uh, used as a, um, as a, I suppose as, as a as a fertilizer as well. The the last zone has um, uh, two seaweeds in it that are probably uh, two of the two of the seaweeds that that are not um, readily edible in in the sense that most of the seaweeds that you encounter on the beach, such as dillisk or sea lettuce, you can just pick them up and as long as they're not too sandy, you can just eat them. As long as the beach is clean, but, um, on the on the very last level you. you You have two seaweeds, combo or kelp and and sugar kelp these two seaweeds have great value for for the japanese in terms of making stocks and dashies, and also i suppose they play in part play part of making um uh, making miso a uh, miso soup as well um and i suppose for me these are very very interesting seaweeds that that we can use because um they're overlooked but also as something that can flavor a stock or a soup they have the greatest potential for me to transform um Um, Irish food. So if you take as an example some something as simple as a vegetable stock or a chicken stock or a fish stock adding kombu or kelp can change the um, can change the flavor and give it um, I suppose a subtle seaweed taste that for me that gives the food a better sense of place than just making I suppose a chicken stock that would taste the same pretty much in say France or Spain or Ireland So for me seaweed gives a great sense of place. (laughs) Hi, this is the Food on the Edge podcast, and I'm your host, J.P. McMahon. So let's imagine that we're actually at the seashore, the best time to harvest it. How do we do it? seaweed grows on the rocks and and, and seaweed will continue to grow and revitalize itself but it's very very important when you're harvesting that you don't uproot it or take it off the rocks any of the seaweed that's floating around if you encounter disc floating in the in the sea absolutely by and large just take it the best thing to do is to get a a shears a little uh, or a pruning shears or a large scissors and and snip it um above the uh, a couple of centimeters above the its place where it's attached to the root usually you can snip the strands uh which is uh, i think the best way to to let it regrow so you're really trying to give it um uh i suppose a fighting chance and also an important thing to to um to uh, i suppose keep in mind is always only take as much as you need because there's no point in gathering loads and loads of seaweed and then bringing it back home and not knowing what to do with it at all it's very easy to dry seaweed and dried seaweed has a a different, I suppose, flavour potential than fresh seaweed and, and it's very, very important to, I suppose, note the difference between the two of those things. But it's very important to to harvest this sustainably and as anyone who's interested in I suppose the the what that looks like visually, it's very, very simple to go on the internet and Google uh, sustainable seaweed harvesting and I think Prani and both Sally McKenna have little diagrams of where exactly to cut it and it's very important that you don't tear it off the rocks because once you tear it off the rocks, then it's not going to grow back there again and in that way you can go back all year and just collect your seaweed um, the archaeologist uh, Michael Gibbons has actually uh, noted that people actually farmed seaweed in County Clare and they they would set the rocks up so they'd line them all up so the seaweed would grow and they'd actually farm seaweed uh, as a as a I suppose as a, as a resource and as a and as a vegetable and in a lot of the stories about Irish um, seaweed in terms of eating most of it happens on the on the west coast um, is i don't know if that's because the atlantic produces uh, better quality seaweed than the irish sea or that it's a bigger ocean so these are these are um uh, uh, other issues that i suppose that 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 go beyond i suppose just just gathering the seaweed but it is interesting that in the west where i suppose you had the the poorest land generally in say the likes of connemara and that you have a rich tradition of harvesting seaweed What would be the best way to start using seaweed in the kitchen? I think, I suppose not everyone can get down to the beach and and pick seaweed. Uh, some people live inland, some people, uh, most people live in the city now. Um, for me, the easiest place to start is, is probably some of the health shops in, in Ireland. A lot of them stock Irish seaweed. You have uh, Wild Atlantic Sea Veg, uh, you have Connemara Seaweed, are just two, uh, two examples, one in Clare and one, in, one in, um, in Rossaville and Connemara. And you can buy little tubs of dried seaweed. Um, in the very, very simplest way, seaweed, say, such as uh, dried dillis, can be added to soup. Um, one of the most uh, important things about seaweed, other than the fact that it, I suppose it tastes nice for me, it is an acquired taste, but it, it does, I, I think it has great flavour potential, is that it's full of vitamins and minerals, potassium, iron, um, and it's, it's great for, for uh, supplementing. Uh, vitamins into the diet but it's also very very good for people who are vegetarian or people who are who are who are vegan and um, so i think going to the health shop and um uh, picking up a few different ones dillisk is probably the easiest one to start off with and it probably has the um, the most uh, amenable taste in terms of its uh, its flavor in the in the restaurant we often add it to stocks um, we also add it to uh, add it to soup in our in our in our cafe. So we make a simple potato and leek soup, and then we add some dried milled dillisk. So generally, when you buy the dried seaweed, you can buy it whole, or you can buy it milled. For people at home, the easiest way to buy, uh, for me anyway, is to buy it milled because then you can add it to uh, to things. Just today, I made a, a chicken stock at home, and I added a milled nori to it. So it gives it gives a great. Um, flavor boost to it, and also has the kind of health benefits um, in it. One of the things that about adding seaweed to the to your food is that it, it kind of I suppose increases the umami potential of the food, and and what that is is is, is I suppose is a is a Japanese discovery, and it's the, I suppose the fifth kind of taste uh, sensation together with um, salt sugar sweet and bitter and you have you have umami it's somewhere between sweet and savory and we generally uh, enjoy foods that are umami rich such as parmesan cheese dried mushrooms but dried seaweed also has that, um, uh, has, has great kind of umami potential. And it was the Japanese that discovered, um, that in the early 20th century through their, through investigations of, um, of looking at kelp and, uh, and, and kombu. So it's a great way to get flavour into your food. Could you tell us a little bit about different kinds of seaweed? Yeah, so, I mean, we were just talking about, I suppose, in the, uh, on the dried variety, and and the dried variety and the fresh variety are very, very different, and they have those different ways of, of, of being used. When you pick fresh seaweed, it's generally good for, for three or four days. Um, bringing it home after the beach, it's generally it's good to soak it in water and rinse it. Um, and I suppose I always start off with the, I suppose, the, the, on the fresh front, I always start off with the light ones. So we look at seaweed lettuce which is which is a beautiful uh, green seaweed that you can add to any salad so you have a goat's cheese salad or you have a a prawn salad sea lettuce is a really really beautiful uh, seaweed that you can that you can add to to those salads and then you have dillisk and nori and wakame, which are also soft soft enough to eat raw They, they don't necessarily have to be cooked There is a great tradition of cooking nori um, in Wales. They they cook it and produce lava bread, and that was also produced in, in Ireland as well but for me combining these seaweeds and chopping them up and making almost like a salsa i mean we're very used to salsas because of i suppose the influx from from spain and from and from mexico a tomato salsa or a red onion salsa but uh, a seaweed salsa i think is for me is a very very beautiful thing taking some diced onion uh, some oil some salt some vinegar and then adding in some diced sea lettuce diced dillisk diced nori and diced whackame, and then putting that all together, and that pairs really well with them, um, with uh, with any I suppose any fish um, at all, oysters or seafood. Then you have seaweeds, I suppose, somewhere in the middle of of um, of that have to be cooked, and that can be eaten fresh. And some people would put probably whackame in there, where cooking it a little bit does tenderize it. Uh, another one, sea spaghetti. I suppose when it's very very young in the spring, I think it's it's beautiful to to eat raw. In the autumn, it grows a lot and generally you need to cook it, but you don't need to cook it as long as say, for, uh, as long as pasta. You can, you can blanch sea spaghetti for a couple of minutes and then use it as you would any, any other type of spaghetti. You can also, I find, mix the two of them. It's probably a little bit more palatable to people who are eating it for the first time. Um, but sea, sea spaghetti is, a, is, is, is really, really beautiful seaweed and it pairs really well with lamb and cheese and, and different, uh, different combinations. As I said, the last two the combo's uh, or the kelps, rather the, the the sugar kelp and the kombu, both of them need to be cooked. And I find the best way to uh, to cook them is to put them in water and uh, and simmer them for about about an hour. It's very very important that you don't boil them because generally when you boil seaweed in water, it kind of releases a certain bitterness. So really just simmering that. And after that, you have the base of a beautiful a beautiful dashi that you can add dried mushrooms to and increase the kind of umami profile. You can use chicken stock as a base and put your kelp in and your dried mushrooms and then you have a a really wonderful um, broth, That a broth base that you can use to make a soup. I know that you own this beautiful seaweed promoting t-shirt. So could you tell us why seaweed now? This was a very good question. I think for me seaweed is is an underused resource in Ireland. It, It has always been there and we've never effectively um, farmed it or used it to to its greatest potential. If you look at, say, Japanese food culture, there are two things that dominate Japanese food culture, uh, raw fish and seaweed. And both of those things are readily available in Ireland in the sense that we have really, really beautiful prime fish that we can eat raw, and we have really, really beautiful seaweed. And they have built, uh, I suppose, an entire food culture behind this. And of course, it's channeled through sushi and nigiri in different ways. But for me, the T-shirt that says we need to, we need to talk about seaweed is, I suppose, is asking people the question that when you go around Ireland, particularly the coastal areas, seaweed should dominate a menu, Um, in the sense that seaweed can be paired with beef, with fish, with chicken, with vegetables. But generally, if you go into any restaurant or any pub or any cafe, you won't see any seaweed on the menu at all. And some people will say that it's not everyone's cup of tea, and it's uh, it's it's uh, the flavour potential is is too strong. But I, I think for me that's a lazy way out. And in in our in our new cafe uh, Tartar, which is located in in, in Galway as well, uh, one of the aims was to see how we can get seaweed more on the menu. Can we get it more into the desserts? Can we get it more into the soup? Can we get it into the salad? And in that way, it's like it's you're never going to get people to eat seaweed if you take a hammer to their head and say I need you to eat this now it has to be in a kind of subtle and uh, and a nice way so by getting a little bit of uh, nori that we spoke of into the chocolate brownie which again pairs really really well getting a bit dillisk into the soup having some sea lettuce in the salad these things I think for me mark a food culture and they give food a certain sense of place and for me and i've said this time and time again that seaweed is should be our national vegetable and it should be the prime food of ireland and it's sitting there and whether we pick it or not, or whether we export it. For me, it's, it's really, really important that we garner it as a national resource and, and over the next 20 or 30 years, uh, build our food culture around this stuff. Our ocean's pollution gets worse every year. Do we know anything about seaweed's pollution? Yeah, like seaweed actually counters pollution. Seaweed is very, very good for, I suppose, cleaning the the ocean. And of course, if you're, if, if there has, if the if the ocean is polluted, then you can't eat the seaweed naturally. Um, and that's why, for me, uh, seaweed farming is a very, very sustainable way of producing seaweed. So you have wild seaweeds and you have seaweed farms. So up in say um, Rattlin Island, up in Northern Ireland, there is a seaweed farm there producing kelp and. That sells it into, into England. So, I mean, seaweed along with shellfish, for me, are very, very sustainable ways of farming the oceans. Because at the moment, we are, I suppose, overfishing um, uh, to, a, to a large degree. Um, and we're not really thinking about, I suppose, how to use the, the, the ocean correctly. We're still, I suppose, depleting the wild stocks and we need a certain balance between wild food stuff and farmed uh, food stuff that, that, we, that we produce. But for me, um, uh, seaweed farming, uh, I suppose coupled together with growing mussels and growing oysters, things that have a very very low impact on the on the on the ocean floor. Uh, so this type of uh, aquaculture, um, which I suppose is is uh, it puts less stress on the land. I think farming, again traditional farming, puts a lot of stress on the land. Also uh, contributes to uh, I suppose to climate change um, as uh, as well. So I think we need a balance between these things because we're not going to stop growing vegetables or rearing for that and of course that's not something that uh, that I want that I want to happen but I think we just need a better balance between these things and uh, the things that the ocean can give us and I think by looking back into Irish food history we can we can I suppose get inspiration to take a food culture to to the next level in the future thank you very much thank you that's our host, JP McMahon, and Przemek Brosz on this site. We'd like you to post comments on our website, on our Facebook page. Please spread the word about this show and we'll see you soon. Thank you very much.